Hello, Chris. Hello, Reefer. Welcome to Refigure, the weekly podcast about arts, tech, culture and diversity. On this week's show, we will be talking about Seinfeld. And we'll also talk about the Oliver Eliasson. And we'll also talk about that Oliver Eliasson exhibition at Tate Modern, his latest exhibition there. And more. Excellent. That sounds like a good show. <laughs> Didn't we already do the Oliver Eliasson? We well, haven't been on the air, have we, for some time? That's true. It's the Oliver Eliasson. He's an Icelandic via Danish or something large-scale kind of installation artist, an architect. He's the guy that put a load of blocks of ice from a dying glacier outside the Tate a few months ago. And now he's got this in a major retrospective. It's very interactive. So it's beautifully rendered. As soon as you come into the... um, It's in the new part of the Tate, if you haven't been, immediately as you go into the lift to get to the exhibition, there's this horrible yellow light. And that's part of the exhibition. And you walk into the yellow light and there are some beautiful sculptures that hang like Christmas tree ornaments from the ceiling and they're made out of mirrors. They cast this amazing, they're huge, and they cast this amazing um, light reflections on the ceiling and the floor and it's very Instagrammable. Also in the foyer part, there's this weird fan that's like spinning around attached to the ceiling, which looks super dangerous. But inside, everything that he does is rooted in his exploration of climate change so some of them are photos of Iceland and landscapes over time and you can definitely see changes in the ice formations i.e there's no ice now they're all melted climate change is real some of the other things are a giant wall of living moss which you can't touch but I know the bits that Chris really likes, so what bits did you really like? There's lots of playing with light and with water. He's got that obsession with natural stuff and movement that pervades it. A couple of bits I really love, there's a dark room and in it there's a small fountain and then a slow strobe light. You just see still images of the fountain water always in a slightly different position so if you stay in there for maybe two minutes you'll see seven or eight images of this fountain because it's pitch black and the strobe happens you can't get used to the dark so you never see anything in between you're just standing in pitch black and suddenly you've got this still image of a water fountain and i absolutely love it the kind of signature piece that a lot of people are talking about is this almost 40 meter long corridor that's been filled with non-toxic mist that means you can only see a meter in front of your face and then it's got colored lighting as well that does some interesting effects so for example at one point there's an orange kind of hue to the lighting you start realizing you're blinking purple just walking through that mist again we it's went like a to smoke a, machine it, well it's not because it's not moving it's like yeah. evenly spread mist really thick mist they're policing people going through very slowly so you only go through with little groups of three or four of you so you get the chance to be in the corridor without too many people nearby but for us 
again it was one of the benefits of membership we went to a members preview of this exhibition when it first opened um we got to be in that corridor on our own and that did make a massive difference now obviously there's thousands of people that come through the tape they can't slow it down so you just get the whole 40 meters on your own but it is an extraordinary experience and even with a few other people there as long as it's not too crowded and you're not pushed through at a speed it's still really effective surprisingly quickly you become disoriented and you're sort of trying to figure out if you're you're looking for edges of things which is really interesting and then some oddly simple bits like you mentioned the photographs of the um glaciers that's a really simple kind of almost journalistic art in amongst this kind of really extravagant big installation stuff so yeah i i really love it it's one of the exhibitions of the year clearly i mean it's not niche is it it's very mainstream and it's accessible for kids kids love it and it's a big exhibition at Tate Modern, so people were, yeah, but I, I really enjoyed it. It reminded me of the one that we went to see last year at the, the Hayward, A Shape of Light. Yeah, yeah. So very Instagrammable, but also very interactive, so younger people find it hilarious to look through a round sort of distorted mirror, but they don't realise that on the other side everyone can see them putting those faces in the mirror. <laughs> and kaleidoscopes, he really likes all of that. Some of it reminded me of um, Heatherwick's sort of ideas, repetitive patterns that you see in nature and how those can be replicated in sculpture. Yeah, it is a really lovely exhibition. It's worth seeing. I pretty much went through that exhibition without even having an inkling that any of it was to do with climate change at all, apart from maybe the iceberg stuff. I was like, oh, yeah, you know, water <laughs> falling on the outside, like lots of little tricks. But it reminded me more of, like, the illusionists, you know, like optical illusion room that they have at the Tate. You know, that's my, one of my favourite rooms. And there's so many little tricks and playful jokes, you know. Uh, what's her name? Bridget Riley, right? So it's like that. That's a lot of those things made me think of that, you know, like mazes. And there is one bit that they got criticised for because um, it's a sort of strange metal corridor and it looks like almost like it's like a giant kaleidoscope that you walk through. You have to go up three or four steps to get to it. So they got criticised about this. If you're in a wheelchair, you can't go up. They can't put a ramp or anything for you to go. It doesn't wouldn't hold the weight of a wheelchair. So that's unfortunate. You know, you can bang on about climate change all you like, Olafol, but you've got to think about your audience, the public need to be need to see accessible art. Just letting you know. In the past two months, we have watched every episode of Comedians in Cars Getting Coffee. It's about 60 of those. We then watched all 180 episodes of Seinfeld and then the extra reunion episode that took place as part of one of the seasons of Curb Your Enthusiasm. And we've also watched, I think, all of Jerry Seinfeld's various TV specials, although there haven't been very many of them. So we have immersed ourselves, soaked ourselves in the comedy of Jerry Seinfeld. Now, it's really funny because we're of an age that when it was on the telly, it was on too late 
like when I was a kid, when I was in the early 90s, that it first aired in the UK. And it was just a bit too, like, removed from my life for me to understand what it would be like to live in an apartment in New York and have mates that keep coming around and the minutiae of their lives. And it is a show about nothing. It's about the life of one bloke and everything in it is really pretty much based on his actual life. Um, the reason we really watched it was because um, we went through the whole of Veep, which is another amazing series that we talked about, I think. So we wanted to watch more of... What's the actress called? Uh, Julia Louise Dreyfus. So obviously she's this massive star in this four-person sort of sitcom. It's quite a traditional sitcom, but it's not a family. It's a group of friends in New York. And why I like it is so many excruciating farcical things happen some of it's really surreal some of it is really like clowning and some of it could be avoided if they had mobile phones and of course the internet was only just starting then at some point you see different versions of computers in the background of his flat where they kind of change but they're essentially having like a lot of mistakes and misunderstandings happen because they can't communicate. So they go to a cinema and they're in the wrong cinema and they can't find their friends and that's hilarious. Misunderstandings about, um, you know, where to meet and what restaurant they're in and that sort of thing. But anyway, I got quite into the comedy of it because... Um, I'm a grown-up now, so I get it. I get it when, like, you're stuck with this neighbour who's, like, crazy and borrows your stuff and eats your cereal and being a performer where your parents and your friends don't believe that you're making any money. That's hilarious. Um, yeah, what did you think of it, Chris? I was surprised how much I loved it, but also I was surprised... Like, when we went back to watch it, we both steeled ourselves for the fact that it's made... It's like for white people's story in the early 90s. Friends hasn't aged well at all. So I remember being a kid loving Friends and then now when you look back on it, they're horrendous and it's a really false kind of piece of social history. Whereas even though Seinfeld is for white people's experience living in in Manhattan, it's actually in the background, it's a very honest reflection of their social history and their stories. So I was waiting for us to find it either unfunny or like misogynist or or racist or just not nice. And although there is sexism in it and there is racism in it, the actual way that is shown is is fantastically progressive for the time. I think it's dated really well. But more to the point, and this kind of transcends all of that, it's just bloody funny all the way through and both of us and we don't necessarily have the same connect the same sense of humor we find different things funny but we were both laughing straight away right and then we watched nine seasons of it in six weeks and we went to paris and when we were in paris you said oh i'm missing the characters from seinfeld because we weren't watching five episodes That's a night we're nuts. i know but it does say a lot about how brilliantly those characters are drawn and how they are appalling people and the whole point is that they're very shallow and self-oriented and just getting on with their lives in a very kind of i don't know they're just getting on with their lives but at the same time you really that feels very real that feels like authentic it ties in with like, so Larry David, who is a co-writer with Jerry Seinfeld of Seinfeld, goes on to make Curb Your Enthusiasm and just takes that awkwardness to another degree. But it's the same thing, which is 
these are the real things that real people think but are too polite to say what is the comedy of if they say it and it's fucking fantastic all the way through also i loved that so i just laughed loads i mean we laughed a load watching this show and so that's a very subjective thing other people might go back and watch it and just not find it funny and i definitely have heard a lot of people when i've been banging on about seinfeld recently say oh jerry seinfeld is he is he funny then he's not he's one of the not very funny ones isn't he maybe it's become de rigueur and very mainstream to do observational comedy and that's almost a comedy that gets mocked by our heroes so Stuart lee would take the piss out of someone like michael mcintyre for doing this observational comedy that is something that jerry seinfeld was one of the pioneers of and yet he does really quite psychedelic flights of fancy and on this show even though i've said it's very grounded in reality some absolutely crazy things it's got much bigger imagination than just the apartments and yet the apartments feel real but just talking about the black characters in one of the episodes of um comedians getting coffee he talks about being a jewish guy going to university and for the first time meeting a black person and having a black roommate. And so that was what made me think, look at how much respect he's got for all these black comedians from Richard Pryor to Eddie Murphy. There's a number of like black comedians that he brings into that series, The Comedians in Cars. And then a lot of this stuff is always really weighted against women as well. And it's a funny mix in Seinfeld because, what's her name? Elaine. Elaine. Elaine's character starts off quite frumpy, I think, you know, and she's really sexy still. And she wears, like, if you ever see her, like, she's very buttoned up and quite professional about everything. But she's a feminist. And so every so often there's an episode where she gets on a high horse about something, about feminist feminism or about being disrespectful to women he was ahead of his time with this stuff he doesn't punch down and there are some really interesting episodes because you'll see cameos from people who were comedians obviously they got all their friends into the series like the guy that went on to be the actor in brian cranston brian who at the time was probably best known for playing the dad in malcolm in the middle he plays tim the dentist and tim the dentist converts to judaism in order to tell jewish jokes and that offends seinfeld not because he's jewish seinfeld is jewish it's because he's a comedian. And those kind of lines go through. And there's another bit at the towards the end where uh, he realises this girlfriend is, is properly racist and walks out. I feel like I've said all this stuff before because we've been banging on about Seinfeld about so to people in their 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s recently. And all of them are a bit nonplussed by it all. But sometimes you just need a good series, don't you? And there's a reason he's the most successful comedian ever. And what I quite like about it as well is that he seems to be on the autistic spectrum because even in comedians getting coffee the whole point of it and he says it multiple times through the series that he wanted to do like a little interview show or they asked him to do a little interview show um but he wasn't prepared to do the standard thing of sitting in a studio behind a desk he wanted to do something where it involves cars and getting coffee but he has to go and mingle in real life with real people and there's a couple of episodes where people are like what are you doing? Like, you, like you're like you such a big star. People are going to come up to you. And he's always super polite and kind and nice. But he doesn't cross the line. So if somebody... There's a famous clip of him. I think it's Kesha tries to hug him. And he says, uh, no. He doesn't know who she is. That's a proper person. 
With race, there are missteps and there are things they get wrong. But one of the best bits about it is, quite often, when the character makes a misstep in race, the show hasn't made a misstep. And the character will do something racist and then the person who gets the last word or the person who is the the villain is clearly that character and so the show maintains a better moral compass than the characters and in the constant misogyny of George and Seinfeld that they are both constantly trying to date women all the time and kind of being what we'd now see as coercive or trickery about it the show is in on the joke and often the women are in on the joke as well it's not that they play along it's that they they get one up on those characters. Watching it with the benefit of however many decades hindsight, Elaine Bennis is a really fascinatingly progressive, amazing character. She is deceitful and shallow as well. And she's horny and she is like dating and she finds men attractive in a way that sits totally with now, today in 2019. But for the early 90s is incredibly impressive that they've got a a fully rounded female character trying to navigate the world and often she has awful things happen to her in a way that shows what it's like to be a woman in a way that I don't know if I I mean I must have watched a few episodes but Did you ever watch the first series of Sex and the City before it got really lame? People would say oh you know Sex and the City is incredibly like genre defining and because it gave women that voice well in a funny way Elaine Bernays would have fitted in as a character on Sex and the City. Yeah, she's the sort of combination of all of them. I find it interesting. At the beginning, I am just spend a lot of time going, what is she wearing? <laughs> like, what did we wear? I don't think I ever wore, because I, I used to go around in DMs and a black leather jacket, and sometimes red dungarees when I had a baggy face. But I don't remember wearing, like, those sort of nighty dresses it's <laughs> like floral long dresses and and blazers like there's some scenes where she's like in in bed with a bloat and she's wearing like a proper like night dress yeah, like a prim <laughs> but, almost but, like a pioneer woman yeah, in the 17th but, century or something but that's how you know there's some writing or she had some influence in yeah, that like yeah. because no there one's are forced awful, her into skimpy yeah, stuff at yeah, all yeah yeah we haven't mentioned kramer Michael Richards plays Kramer, the eccentric next-door neighbour, but what he really does is he does a job of being the physical clown of the show. It's an astonishing, bravura, effortless performance, consistent over almost a decade that he achieves with Kramer. It's so funny. He may be the best TV clown I've ever seen. You were talking about the characters that come in that go on to be famous, so we get... Like, Courtney Cox is someone who dates... Jerry before she's in Friends and um, uh, Deborah Messing who goes on to be in Will and Grace is in there and so there's loads of sort of small bit part characters who are go on to be there's really famous artists actors the woman who who just won won something just now I've forgotten what show she's really small and she was in all the things <laughs> <laughs> you come up with one name and I'll be able to tell you who it is she just won and she was She's really small. She just won a thing and she was in all the things. <laughs> she's got dark hair, but she's, there's two of them that are similar. And I just... Oh, Jesus. <laughs> I'm going to tell you. Gonna well, what tell are you going to Google? Small? I'm sharing... I shared something with her of her recently. Just to say one thing that she's been in or one person she's... I'm going to show you. 
because I, t- I tweeted about her the other day. <laughs> she just won an award. And you'll know who I meant. If oh, my God. Just bear with. This is why I keep you hanging around, because you're supposed to, like... Know the names of things. Know the names of things. You sometimes. Sometimes. Kind of... Her name oh. is Alex Borstein. She played in this thing that we watch, Maisie. She's in The Marvellous Mrs Maisel? Yeah. Who is she? Mrs Maisel? Oh, she's the lesbian. Oh, the stat, the comic, she's the comedy, yeah. Hey, Susie. So Susie and Mrs Maisel is Alex Borstein. What was she in Seinfeld? Oh, no, I'm getting her muddled up with are the you, other one. So are you talking about Janine Garofalo? Yes! Right, so Janine Garofalo, who was in Larry Sanders at the time, who's an amazing stand-up yes. and actress, who was also in The West Wing, by the way, towards yes, the later, later series of The West I'm Wing. Yes, that's what I'm thinking of. Right, OK, fine. <laughs> I'm leaving all of that in because no, that's not. just such No, you're a not. No. <laughs> anyway, never mind. If you're remotely interested in comedy and you haven't already watched... I mean, millions of people have already watched it. So maybe you're, like, really young. <laughs> you haven't watched Jerry Seinfeld. We watched them on Amazon. They're on Amazon Prime. They're going to go to Netflix later this year or at the end of the year. So you can watch them on Netflix. I would say start with comedians getting coffee. So comedians in cars getting coffee. I partly wouldn't agree, but yeah. Comedians in cars getting coffee. The entire run of that is on Netflix now. What's next? What are you reading for, Chris? What are you reading for? 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 Um, oh no, what do you want to talk about? Me? Lovely Manx Steph came and stayed last week and it was great to have him down. He's our friend from the Isle of Man. Just before he came, he sent me a birthday gift of Emily Nussbaum's book, I Like to Watch. Emily Nussbaum is the foremost television critic in the United States and she's won a, I was going to say she's won a turnip prize. She's won the Pulitzer Prize. A turnip? She's won a turnip. That's what you get if you win the Pulitzer Prize, you get a turnip from the president she's a wonderful critic the book is a series of stories of her love for tv kicks off with how she got into tv through buffy the vampire slayer and then just moves forward and she has a brilliant eye she gets tv of all kinds as well as anyone i love her criticism i think she's very smart and i'm thoroughly enjoying the book so that is i like to watch by emily nussbaum what are you reading, my dear Aoife? I decided to buy a book, a, uh, what you would call a self-help book. I get quite a lot out of these sorts of books. I think they're a bit more uplifting and there's lots of fun exercises and things in them. Um, I haven't read one for a long time. And I thought I would read there's someone called Lisa Nichols, who is massive. Like Apparently everybody knows who she is. She's like the African-American version of, of uh, Anthony Robbins. I don't know. She's like an <laughs> international... No, no. She's an international motivational speaker in her early 50s now. Yeah, I thought I'd read her book called Abundance Now. And I'm quite enjoying it. I know people sometimes feel that's, like, not real or whatever. But the fact that, like, 20 years ago she was on food stamps... And she changed her mindset and she shares this framework of like every day building into your life these practices to help you along the way. Now, I always try things out myself before I pass them on to my clients or students. If I read a book and it's got an exercise that might help me and I implement it, the exercise, 
like any kind of physical exercise, it's going to do something if you do it long enough. Sometimes you need a little boost and it's nice to read something uplifting from someone who is descendant of slaves and she'll talk about a little bit about that. That sounds brilliant. Hello, Reefa. That was another... Hello, Chris. We should probably do that at the beginning. That was another alluring episode of Refigure. Thank you very much for listening. Um, you can find us online. Refigure UK on Instagram. Refigure Pod on Twitter and on Facebook. Like and subscribe. Yes, please. It'd be lovely to hear from I you. I should do a plug, actually. If you're interested in hearing any of my meditations, they're all on another podcast, which is called Meditation with Reefer. And you can find that on, like, Stitcher, Spotify, but Apple Podcasts. Yeah, wherever you find this pod. So if they're listening to this, just type into your thing, Meditation, Meditation with, with Rerefa. It's really nice. They're all nice. Cool. Thank you very much for listening. Talk to you next time. Goodbye. <laughs>